Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas, and I'm really excited because tomorrow I get out of quarantine. International travel meant that on my arrival, I had to self-isolate for two weeks. And what a fascinating, interesting and thrilling time that has been, especially for Kay, my wife, who has had to live with me through this experience. I was thinking about forming an escape committee, maybe digging a tunnel. But tomorrow, I get out of jail free. Hooray! It's been quite an emotional week, really, as we have been remembering, remembering heroes who have sacrificed so much for us in the past, the scaled-back event at the Cenotaph, and then the 100th anniversary of the burial of the unknown warrior in Westminster Abbey. It's important that we remember. It was January 1945, the coldest winter in Poland in a 100 years. For prisoners held in concentration camps like Auschwitz and British soldiers in nearby prisoner of war camps, surely it was a frozen hell. But hope jostled with terror. The distant booming of artillery announced that the liberating Russian army was coming closer. But the question on everyone's mind was this. What would the Nazis do with the tens of thousands of prisoners, witnesses to their appalling crimes? The solution was fiendishly simple. Prisoners would be forced to march. Some call it the death march. Many people would perish of starvation, disease or exhaustion. Those who stumbled during the 20-mile daily trudge were dispatched with a blow from a rifle butt to the neck. Any who attempted escape were shot. Trench foot and typhus were rife. Some did not change their clothes for three months. Their skin teemed with lice. Food was scarce. Dehydrated, they sucked on snow. Like walking dead, some soiled themselves as they shuffled along. I learned the story of prisoner 5239. Captured at just 19, he should have been anxious about acne and girlfriends, but five long years behind barbed wire forced him to grow up fast. He was one of the thousands on the death march. Suddenly, without warning, an opportunity to escape presented itself. As they rounded a bend, he glanced back and realised that the rear guard was out of sight. Hurriedly looking ahead, it was the same. For ten paces or so, they would not be seen. He had a choice, a crossroad between life and death, and he decided. Turning to a friend, he hissed, Quick, run, now. And so run they did, dashing into the woods. Hearts beating fast, waiting for the alarm to go up and shots to be fired, they lay on the frozen ground until at last the column passed. With no idea where they were, they finally found an isolated house. The owner, a woman whose husband was away at war, feared rape or worse. The two friends told her that they meant no harm. Reassured, she cooked them a meal and they slept in the barn. The details fade after that, but somehow they finally made it home. He met his sweetheart, they married, and he tried to settle back into a normal life. Quizzed about those years, he said very little. Perhaps he decided not to give his captors any more headspace. Hearing his story, I wanted to make a response to honour his decisiveness, and so I've decided that I will be decisive too. On that fateful day in Arctic Poland, there was no time for dithering. Everything hung in the balance. 
And so I want to be one who chooses well, because every day is filled with choices, and some of those are hinges. Decisions don't call ahead or come with a health warning. While many are inconsequential, some are monumental, thinly disguised doorways to joy or tears. The Bible is crammed with life-changing decisions. Mary agrees, Peter signs up to follow, and taxman Zacchaeus climbs down from a tree. They chose. And so I, too, will be decisive. I will be prayerful, take stock, weigh the options, and consult trusted counsel. But that young man's story has nudged me to abandon meandering. I will not squander my freedom with indecision. Many years later, that POW escapee made another epic choice. After decades of ignoring God, angry at all the horrors he had seen and felt, he chose to follow Christ, the greatest liberator. Shortly afterwards, a stroke silenced his speech, and he became a prisoner once more, trapped inside his own head this time, unable to speak an intelligible word, no means of escape. At 75 years old, he breathed his last, finally free at last. Hearing that story, this much needs to be said. Thank you, Prisoner 5239, for the inspiration, the legacy and the call to be decisive. Be brave and take risks when the moment comes. Thank you for surviving so that your children could exist. And thanks, most of all, for being my dad. We're thinking about remembrance with the remembrance events just behind us. And that's made me think not only about those heroes of yesteryear, but the generation that paid such a price. Watching people is one of my favourite hobbies. Give me a spare 10 minutes and I'll happily park myself on a bench somewhere and just watch the teeming world go by. Fear not, it's not voyeurism, but I do enjoy wondering about the lives of those nameless people as they drift by me. Who are they? What are their hopes and their histories, their dreams? What are their stories? I look at the lines etched deep on their faces and wonder what circumstances drew those indentations. What laugh-out-loud moments of joy have been theirs? What jet-dark days of hopelessness and despair have they navigated? And where and what are they now? I know that as they stroll by in silence, their brains are probably buzzing, tangible thoughts, must-do lists and mushy, shapeless feelings, unquantified by words, are crackling around inside those strangers' heads. Sometimes their eyes betray just a hint of what is playing on the screen of their inner selves, the slightest whisp of pain, fear, pleasure, wistful thinking, wishful thinking. Did I read them correctly, I wonder? I will never know. Just lately, especially during this time of remembrance, I've been noticing older people. I've looked into the faces of hunched-over old ladies, their red-veined faces gouged deep where they have frowned or smiled or cried. Some of them are bright-eyed, young in heart and face, the adventure still very much in progress. And some of them are being greatly betrayed by their bodies, hunched over by bowing spines, their walk a laboured crawl, their watery blue eyes glazed against the cold. Sprightly old gents pass me, all smart and blue-blazered, a regimental badge warm with pride on their pockets, some with cloth caps, clip-on ties and walking sticks with rubber ends, blue-rinse ladies with headscarfs and wicker shopping baskets and great thick coats.' 
I wondered just what on earth these seniors think about today's world, and my generation in particular. Just yesterday, a couple that looked like they'd been married for life crept slowly past my observatory bench. Just then, a gaggle of 12-year-olds brushed into them roughly as they strode by, their loud swearing banter staining the air. I saw the sad look in the old man's eyes. He sensed their disdain and total lack of respect. He shook his head in defeat and resignation, and a fear that should never be permitted was written all over his wife's face. Perhaps they'd known more than enough terror being old enough to have walked through the Second World War. What must these veterans, these heroes, think of us? My generation has never known what it is to go to the railway station to wave goodbye to a uniformed husband or father and wonder if you'll ever see him again. We've not known the endless grinding struggle of massive economic depression. Peering fearfully through our fingers during the opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan has been the closest that most of us have known of the searing butchery of war. We haven't seen the death of hope and sanity that comes when people are forced to hack the lives out of each other on a battlefield. And yet mine, perhaps, is the generation of the great escape. We've doled our miniature pressures with substance abuse. We have far more than they've ever had, and we take it for granted that our toys that we feel are our right. What do they think, these heroes who marched to defend what rights they had, but many of whom lost great chunks of their youth or their friends? What do they think of us? Sometimes older folk feel estranged even in our churches. For them, the music is too loud. The hymns that we've discarded have been anthems of strength and hope for their journey. Yet we can dismiss those songs with a sneer and insist that they embrace our choices. Some of them are not so much stick in the mud. They're just wearied by our changes here to stay obsessions. And in some cases, they've seen all our brilliant new ideas before wrapped up in other packaging and they're not too impressed. So look again at that old chap whose nose and ears refuse to stop growing and whose eyes are misty with memories. Tread gently around the widow who has lost her friend, companion and lover of 60 years. Do not slap her with, well, he had a good innings. For her, the game ended far too quickly. Put that word codger away and stifle your giggles when Doris asks if we can please sing that hymn just once next Sunday because week in, week out, she tries her best to get in step with our rhythm, hideous though it sounds to her. Are there irritating, crotchety, stubborn seniors about? To be sure. But look again past fluffy hats and flowery frocks, past well-worn check jackets and dribbling noses, past silvery hairstyles and ties worn for shopping. There are treasures to be found in old vessels, and they won't be here forever. Let's remember that. We've been thinking about remembering, remembering heroes who sacrificed so much for us, remembering the truth that there are treasures to be found among the elderly. They deserve our love, our care, our respect. At the beginning of the program, I shared the story about prisoner 5239, the man who escaped from that death march, the man who was my dad. A few months ago, I shared that story publicly, and then I received an email from someone who'd heard all about it. 
The next day, he found a book about a prisoner of war camp in a charity shop, and he very kindly sent the book to me. What he did not know was that the book that he sent was the story of a man who was held in the very same prisoner of war camp as my dad. And I didn't even mention the name of the camp when I shared it was Stalag 8B in Lambsdorff. Today, I've got a greater understanding of what my dad endured for those long years. He passed away some 25 years ago. I'm grateful to him and to all who paid such a price in the war. Let's remember. See you next time.